Hi, I'm Ed Romaine, the Chief Marketing Officer of Cargo Global, and this is Mobilizing Culture, a new podcast exploring the ever-changing world of advertising and how new waves of mobile technology and digital advertising impacts the human mind both positively and negatively. On this episode of Mobilizing Culture, we explore the relationship between technology and emotion. More specifically, we're going to talk about artificial emotional intelligence and the role it currently plays both in marketing strategies and in everyday consumer experiences. To help, I spoke with two individuals on the forefront of this technology. Hello, my name is Natalie Monbiot. I am SVP Futures on Samsung, uh, working at Starcom. Ms. Mambio is responsible for identifying new opportunities to grow the brand outside of quote-unquote business as usual. Her goal at Samsung? How can we become important and meaningful in the hearts and minds of consumers, particularly in the US? Given all the trends uh, that are happening, people spending less time you know, with traditional media, people paying less attention to ads. Many of Samsung's projects require cutting-edge technology to help understand their consumer, most recently with the help of emotion technology, which brings us to our second guest. Hi, uh, my name is Rana El-Kalyubi. I'm co-founder and CEO of Affectiva. We are an MIT spin-off on a mission to humanize technology with artificial emotional intelligence. Ms. Al-Kalyubi is a computer scientist whose company Affectiva is single-handedly paving the way for artificial emotional intelligence. Before I started Affectiva, basically I spent my entire career asking the question of like, what if our technology could understand how we're feeling? To me, that's like the missing piece of the puzzle. Can you talk to us a little bit about what inspired you to get to where you are today? I grew up in the Middle East and then got the opportunity to move to Cambridge to do my PhD. And it was my first experience being away from my family. And I realized two things, that I was spending more time with, uh, with my computer than I did with any other human being. Yet this machine had absolutely no clue how I was feeling. But it was also the portal of communication I had with the rest of the world and specifically my family. And again, I realized that it was because it was devoid of emotion. It kind of sucked or like I felt like all the nuances of, of our expressions, you know, were disappearing into a black hole. And so I started imagining, like, what, what would the world look like if technology was more responsive to our emotions? And of course, you know, fast forward 20 years on. Um, technology around us is becoming conversational, it's mm -hmm. becoming perceptual, it's ubiquitous, and it is very intimate, and it's a very integral part of, of who we are. And so, uh, you know, I think whereas when I started this, it was very early days for this type of technology, it's now becoming a lot more mainstream. When you were missing your family, mm -hmm. did you want the computer or did you want technology to understand your feelings because you were in such a state? Is that how your curiosity got piqued? I was working on this very tight deadline, and um, I was just, you know, stressed out. And I remember, you know, writing this report, and Clippy shows up and it does its little, you know, of course, you know, mm -hmm. that was years ago, but it does it, it does its little dance around and says, oh, it looks like you're writing a letter. Do you need any help? And I'm like, no, I, I, I know. Because <laughs> yeah. he, he had absolutely no context of what you were doing, right? Mm -hmm. He was very, it was very insensitive. And then the other, I was really, really homesick and I was absolutely in tears. Mm -hmm. And I was chatting with, uh, with my family back home and they had no idea except when I said, you know what, I'm in tears, and I sent the tearful emoji. And to me, that just sounded very artificial, like, you know, back to what Natalie was saying, people are craving authentic experiences. Mm -hmm. And I 
felt that if they were in the same room, they would have immediately seen that I was upset. And this homes. is pre-FaceTime, by the way. Oh, yeah. So you this only was, had emoticons, really. This was ICQ. Right, for, right. For those of us who remember that, you know, right. Like it was mm-hmm. a chat, basically a messaging, messaging software. Why don't you tell people a little bit about the technology? We're trying to build artificial emotional intelligence. If you think about human intelligence, cognitive intelligence is very important, but it's very tightly coupled with our emotional intelligence, which is our ability to read and respond to other people's mental, social, and emotional cues. Your facial expressions, your tone of voice, your gestures, which I do a lot of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so the idea was to build technology that mimics the way humans read each other's emotions. And in my research, I focus on facial expressions. Mm -hmm. And that's what we primarily do at the company, at Affectiva. But now we're expanding that to also include your tone of voice and other you know, other ways people express emotion. Mm. Say on the facial expression thing, what I find is just so incredible. It's like what you're doing is you're reading the data points on someone's face and based on the movements of those data points, interpreting that combination of movements into an emotion. Exactly. So we use machine learning and deep learning to train the algorithm to read different emotional expressions. So say you want to train a computer to read the difference between a frown and a smile. Mm -hmm. So you give it tens of thousands of examples of people smiling from all around the world and, you know, examples of people frowning from all over the world. And the system learns the things that are discriminated. Like it learns that when you're smiling, your lip corners are pointing upwards, maybe we see teeth. When you're frowning, you see all these wrinkles between your eyebrows. And and that becomes the algorithm. And so the next time it sees, you know, Ed's face and it's never seen you before, mm-hmm. it'll it'll say, oh, I'm seeing these wrinkles between your eyebrows. You must be frowning. Unless you're Botoxed. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, you're going to have to correct right. We're going to have to talk through that. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how many unique emotions currently can be identified through the unique combinations of all these facial points? So the facial expression layer of of the algorithm um, is, we think of it as the building blocks of an emotional expression. Mm -hmm. And today, the computer can read about 20 different facial expressions. And then it maps it to about eight different emotional states. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Now that we understand the technology and what it can do, I wanted to explore how it is currently being used by brands as part of their marketing strategy. It's something that my guests are asking themselves and their teams all the time. What is technology enabling us to do to be able to connect brands with consumers in a more effective way? Well, we are at the advent of technologies like Emotion AI Mm -hmm. that can connect people with the content and the brands that they are going to be most sort of emotionally relevant to them. And I think that is a key area of interest um, that I'm definitely um, thinking about all the time um, on behalf of Samsung. In case you couldn't tell, Natalie and Rana have worked together in the past. Natalie on the brand side of things and Rana on the science side. I first came across Verona when I was working at the IPG Media Lab, which is the innovations practice of Interpublic Group. They were using artificial emotional intelligence to research consumer behavior in the hopes of strengthening their own marketing strategy. One of the things that we did in the lab was copy testing and ads testing. And rather than sort of asking consumers how they felt about an ad, uh, you know, we actually wanted to test their visceral and emotional reaction to, to ads. And we used... Affectiva's emotion AI technology in order to determine people's emotional reaction to mm. ads. When you first were exposed to the technology yeah. as, a, as a human, not mm. as an executive, what were yeah. your first thoughts? Were you like, 
wow, we could really do a lot with this. Yeah, at the yeah, time, yeah. I was like, this is the sickest thing, mm-hmm. you know, How, and everybody thought so. You know, we would do um, th- something called media trials, so these media experiments where we would be testing new media formats and new media vehicles. At the time, we were testing the value of mobile and best practices in mobile. The ability to actually show how people were reacting to to different ad experiences was just incredible and very compelling for everybody. The mm-hmm. detail that you were able to sort of break down people's reactions into is incredible. You sort of have a personal passion, I feel like, for experiences. And I know that for the non-marketers listening, experiential is something that's associated with creating these unique experiences. And I know right. you bring that into your work. Yeah, I would say that I've got a problem with the word experiential. Okay. Because it sounds like it's tangential to the real experience at hand. I Do feel you say like it's experiences. Kind of experiences. Yeah. And I, do I the think same. yeah, and experiencing media. Let's sort of take a step back and think like when we talk about experiences, do we just mean being in a live experience? No, I don't think so. I think we're thinking about the entire journey around a live experience. Mm-hmm getting excited about an experience, planning for an experience, and then the whole aftermath about of reliving an experience. There's an entire journey that sort of centers around the live experience kind of at the apex. I think that's kind of what I mean, rather than it just needs to be an experiential or live experience kind of activation. Yeah. How do you use technology in your practice to give an experience and create a narrative where there's an apex and there's a high that takes place after from the experience that you've given them or the brand has given them? How do you think about that when you're putting plans together around a launch or around generating awareness for something new or something that exists that you want to celebrate? Right. So so in that case, I think, you know, if we want to conquest a competitor, what you need to do is back to that point about value. You need to create value for the consumer that you want to engage and win over. You have to create it. You have to think about, well, what is it that they love? What is it that we could do? And if we don't create it already, let's make it. Yeah. Either of you as consumers, have you seen any brands that are using technology in a smart way that you've been sort of enamored by? We worked with Avocados for Mexico on their South by Southwest exhibit. Mm -hmm. And when they first approached us, we were like, Avocados, like, really? Like, how does Emotion AI fit? And they created this amazing personalized kiosk where you walk up to the kiosk, you start engaging with it, and based on your happiness score, it personalizes an avocado dish for you. So you might get the salad or the taco. or yeah. The, right? yeah. And it's a bizarre, crazy idea, but food and mood go together, right? And, and their big picture or big idea was that, yeah, like your mood is a big element in the decisions you make around what you want to eat or who you want to eat with or where you want to eat. And they wanted to bring that front and center, and I thought that was kind of clever. Samsung partnered with Netflix, basically to reward people based on their obsession with Netflix content. So if you could prove your obsession with Orange is the New Black, you got to use your obsession as currency for earning the experience of living in this kitted out Orange is the New Black little house. Mm. How is the obsession defined? The obsession is defined by consumption of the show and the data from Netflix as to kind of how much you are consuming and engaging um, with that show. Got it. So I think that's really taking data and using it for marketing purposes in a way that really rewards the right people, the fans that are then going to talk about that experience. And I also think that's a great example of 
when you bring partners together to create value for the consumer. Sure. That's a perfect example of what we call the emotion economy. So, so we've moved from a world where you were trying to grab you know, the consumer's attention to a world where you recognize that it's all about this authentic emotional engagement. And if you can engage with consumers in a very true way that acknowledges their obsessions or their passions, you know, I think that's how you win and that's how you kind of bubble up to mm-hmm. the top. So this emotional engagement is the currency, and and you need to measure it in scientific and objective ways. You need to be able to affect it, mm-hmm. um, and that yeah. Yeah, it's like an, it's an evolution on being consumer first. Mm-hmm. You know, what does consumer first mean? Consumer first means something different depending on the era in which, in which you're in. So now, um, consumer first means understanding people's true motivations and the things that they are obsessed with and things that they're emotionally engaged with. And we now have the data to be able to determine that. So we should be leveraging that data in order to come up with experiences that our consumer is going to treasure yeah. and then actually deliver that to them and then make them the champions of, of the brand and the brand message. Artificial emotional intelligence is clearly an effective new tool for engaging consumers, but I wanted to know how else this technology was being used. Luckily, Natalie knew just the person to call. Hi, my name is Morale Churchman. She's a friend of mine who is this incredible visual artist. And something that she's doing, which is incredible, is she's basically setting up these like, installations at various kind of art fairs and festivals. Uh, one of the projects called the Sensory Lab. The experience explores cross-modal perception and the idea that our senses communicate with each other. And people come into her experience and she like wires them up. That we put each person on a journey through the senses. And she kind of exposes them to different stimuli. Where we enhance each sense and teach the person how these senses interact with each other. And then she has them write down how they're feeling. What do you, what do you see? What do you feel? What color are you seeing? And, and all of these different questions. And then alongside that, I incorporate some different technologies and then we collect their data with an artistic view of how our senses are dealing with each other. And she showed me a sample of some of these surveys. It is like pure science. Being able to study that and see the smell of tangerine makes most people feel, you know, happy or and so on and so forth. This is kind of the convergence of art and science around this obsession with emotion. And I think that is just very, very powerful because I, for all the reasons we've just discussed, I think that that is, well, that's core to what matters to consumers, you know, what they respond to. Whether it's avocados or art installations, new technology is being used today, more than ever, to enhance and optimize consumer experience. Even in something as simple as earbuds, like the ones Natalie was wearing when she arrived at our studio, these earbuds by the company Here One are far from simple. I got them a couple of months ago after Collision Conference. Mm-hmm. And I went and, and heard uh, this talk by one of the founders of Here One. And I was just blown away. Essentially, what it enables you to do, you put on these headphones and you can tune your own reality. Hmm. So you can be on the subway, you can put it on subway mode. Uh, you can... Um, does that mean there's more sort of uh, outside filter block? Like, does it make the sound more pure based on the environment you're yes, in? Yes, exactly. It. Without cancelling out the noises around you. So you're hearing what you want to hear, but you've kind of tuned your reality 
so that you are getting the optimal experience of hearing what you need to hear, but also not losing touch with your environment. And is it psychosomatic or there's real technology? No, okay, there's absolutely it. real and technology. And you notice a difference? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And one of the use cases is if you go to a concert, you go to a live concert, you can start to personalize your experience of that live concert. You can tweak the bass. You can be your own kind of DJ, basically. Wow. Or your own producer cool. at a live conference. So what I think, um, sort of, you know, what technology is going to be in service of, and it's starting now, is technology is in service of the real human visceral experience. And technology is just going to optimize that experience for you. Mm-hmm. And it's going to make it as good for each of you as individuals as possible and make it uh, a better shared experience as well. Do you think that's dangerous, either of you? If I'm out DJing or, let's say, being a better artist than the artist, are we actually moving further away from what it's meant to be? I would just say that in the example of these Here One earbuds, it's at least in service of intensifying the actual experience that you're in. It's not a distraction from where you are. You feel more present in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that people crave. Do you think that there is an apprehension or do you all have fear about there being too much data on yourself? Do you want to be overanalyzed? I think there's a real cost-benefit equation here. I mean, we're already sharing a ton of data about ourselves every day, every second of the day. More than most people are even aware of. Aware of, exactly. But we do it because we're getting some value back. And the value could be social value. We connect with our friends. We have a, a social network. Um, It could be because we get, you know, personalized content. There's a lot of reasons why people are okay sharing their data. I mean, when GPS first came out, people freaked out and they were like, oh, I'd never share my location like on my phone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I I can't can't live. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. (laughs) So I think we have to figure out what is that value that's going to. I'm so grateful to Google Maps for not needing to know where north is. They just do- I've just never put- figured that one out. But now it's become you type in a letter and they like almost know where you're going. Right. Like there's this like a predictive sort of response from them. It's mm-hmm. getting really good. Yeah. Does anything scare you about new technologies in your daily practice? I mean, I, I recognize that there are potential abuses of um, emotion recognition technology. In particular, there are applications where you could collect this data without people's consent. There's probably applications where you could use this data to manipulate people's decisions. So I I make a big, you know, I make a point of talking about these use cases and educating the public so that they get smarter about, you know, what this technology can and can't do. I mean, there are always the pitfalls of technology going wrong, um, which is a constant risk. And fear. And fear. fear. And I think also, you know, there isn't technology is not always necessary. So I think using it sparingly and thinking about when you should leverage it and how you should leverage it and why you're doing it, I think, is critical. The introduction of any new technology comes with flaws and limitations. In order to best prepare for the future, for our future, it's important to understand these imperfections and admit that they exist because there's a responsibility that comes with the launch of any new technology before it gets implemented. When I was first thinking about affective this morning, I was thinking about can the technology actually tell if you're lying based on your emotion? Like I made a joke about Botox, but but there are people that are less emotive or more emotive. And so I wonder if the technology has its limitations as far as being able to understand the nuances past those eight emotions. Right. Ultimately, you know, right now we have a global model that applies to everyone and you don't need to calibrate it or train it specifically to you. 
Um, but ultimately, if you imagine this becoming embedded on your phone, right? Like we talked about, you know, it becoming just part of the phone. So it's always tracking your emotions with your consent in the background or a social robot that sits on your kitchen counter that really gets to know you. Eventually, this technology will know you enough to know your baseline and it'll know you enough to know when you deviate from that baseline. So sure. Um, and that that's going to kind of be how it plays out. And what I love about that is so something that's key is if you want to connect with consumers, you need to offer tangible value. And I think you can offer more tangible value when you can empathize mm-hmm. with them and you can provide useful insight back to people based on what you're able to glean from them with their permission. Speaking of connecting to humans, I would ask, Rana, for Affectiva's purposes, where do you go beyond just facial recognition? In your mind, do you see the technology actually sort of starting to be able to respond in a smarter way? Mm-hmm. Like, where are you conquesting toward? So we started off by doing a lot of analytics applications or research applications. But now I would say more than 50% of our mind share is going towards these real-time experiences that sense and adapt to your emotions in real time. And that could manifest in any number of ways. It could be, you know, you're watching a movie and we each get get different endings because we respond in different ways throughout the movie, right? The story unfolds in a different way because we're having different emotional experiences with it. And that could project to games. The ad could be personalized. So I think it's an ultimate personalization machine, really. Mm -hmm. And then beyond content, it could be, you know, you walk into your car and the car recognizes your mood and it optimizes the temperature or the playlist or even the route. Social robots, we talked about a little bit. Um, so the embodiment of the of the technology can take many different forms. It could be your phone. It could be an app. It could be a conversational interface. It could be a connected home device like your Nest, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or a, fr- a fridge. You know, fridges are now being built to have all sorts of people sensors. Basically, I see a vision of the future where this kind of technology is just ubiquitous. And it's not in your face. Like, I will know that we did this the right way when it's in the background. It kind of responds to you and you're not quite sure what exactly did it pick. Was it your facial expression? Was it your posture? Maybe it was the general vibe in the room. Not quite sure, but it personalized the experience because it knows you so well. Yeah. I think a lot of people are not in touch with their emotions and um, it's a big part of your mental health, right? People focus on physical fitness, but it's not just about your physical fitness. Your emotional fitness and your emotional health is really critical too. Mm-hmm. But we don't have a way to track that the way we do with our exercise. Right. Um, but we will. When that happens, you can line it up with your calendar. You can look for – it can flag that this – you know, standing Monday meeting with your boss really leaves you annoyed every single week or like your drive in the morning is very stressful, right? Like it can give you data that you you may not realize. Privileged is, is, data, really. Right. Right. And then you can share it with whoever you want to. And I think part of it is that on social media today, it's awesome because we connect to so many people around the world, but the quality of the connection is really weak. Because it's not that authentic and it's very filtered. Mm-hmm. When I was talking about the technology as a privilege, because there are so many people in the world that don't have access to it, I was wondering if you feel like the technology you created or some offshoot of that technology could impact literacy or could impact um, a group of people's understanding about agriculture and how to optimize it so that they were more likely to have more food the following season. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit yeah. about that? I actually feel very, very passionate about this um, because I, I grew up outside of the United States in, in, in parts of the world that are not as privileged. Tell us where. 
I was born in Cairo. I'm Egyptian originally, and and then I lived um, most of my childhood in the in the Gulf. So first in Kuwait, and then my parents, after the first Gulf War, moved to the United Arab Emirates. Okay. And so I, I really understand. You know, I, I feel like technology could be the ultimate equalizer, but it also could contribute to the division, right? And I feel with emotion AI. Let's take the education example because I, th- I think that's a great one. Um, you know, a lot of our learning is is moving digital, like a lot of other aspects of our of our lives. And um, online learning systems are out there, but they're not very effective because they're not as good as a, an awesome teacher who can recognize if you're bored or frustrated and intervene. Right now, like if you take an online learning course, it's completely oblivious to all that information about you. Whereas imagine if you had a smart, emotion-enabled learning companion that, you know, takes the course with you. It recognizes that you're becoming really fidgety or that you're really, like, really confused and you really don't understand what's going on. And it can say, okay, let's take a break. Let's try to figure out this out together. Oh, you're bummed because you got this wrong? Let's mm. redo it. Like, it can be a companion through this learning exercise. And it almost could answer the idea that people learn in different ways. So your companion could be specific to how you right. absorb and retain information. Right. Maybe you like to goof around or maybe you're very serious or maybe you like to take a break every 10 minutes and it can learn that through working with you. Mm-hmm. Um, That's really fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah. You talked a little bit of, in your TED Talk about the misuse of technology, which is sort of the other side of the coin to all the good things that, that we're talking about for both a brand and a human. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what your ideas of misuse are and, and, and how you think that that could impede sort of progress from a technology, technological perspective. Um, so, so first and foremost, we recognize as a team that your emotional data is very personal, right? And so everything we've done so far, we've asked people to consent. Like we've been very clear up front that this is the type of data we're collecting. You know, you need to give consent to, consent to turn the camera on or t- turn a microphone on. Um, but, but also we take it a step further. We're very transparent about how the technology works how you could fool it, right, or Mm -hmm. trick it. Um, And then there are some use cases that, honestly, I don't feel very comfortable spending a lot of mind share on, and security is one of them. It's probably a really big market opportunity. And have you been approached to do things related to security? We have been approached Uh by um, three-letter agencies (laughs) that wanted to fund, uh, fund our company. Um, and we, we, we're always being approached yeah. to do work in the security space. And, you know, I, I understand that people's sense of safety is, has changed. Right. People don't feel as safe as they used to, you know, when we, you know, seven years ago when we spun out of MIT. So the world is changing. But I still feel very uncomfortable collecting data on people when they don't know that it's being collected or they don't really understand how it's going to be used. Sure. There's conflicting data. Some data says we live in the safest world we've ever lived in. And then, of course, we live in a proliferated sort of media landscape. And there's a sort of act of terror that takes place all the time. And and terror groups in many ways are using technology for recruitment and all sorts of other things to communicate and socialize behaviors. And Mm -hmm. you bring up an interesting point because as a scientist and as someone who, who is impassioned by the data and what it could do, do you feel a responsibility at all to like think through how you could counteract things like that? Or do you just stay focused on things that we talked about, which would be like evangelizing education and those things, which, you know, both are, are sort of very powerful. I will say this is an ongoing debate at Affectiva. In your mind. At or Affectiva, in the, at the yeah. Like we, we have a weekly 
team meeting and just last this last week, we had a big debate around, okay, should we do security or not? And I think it's a blurry line. It definitely is. I want to thank my guests, Natalie Monbiot. You can find me at NatLikeThat on Instagram, Twitter, and pretty much anywhere else. <laughs> and Rana Al-Kalyubi. Follow me on Twitter at Kalyubi, K-A-L-I-O-U-B-Y, or Affectiva at Affectiva, A-F-F-E-C-T-I-V-A. Follow them to find out more about artificial emotional intelligence and keep up with the latest on both Samsung and Affectiva next week on Mobilizing Culture. So we have actually evolved ourselves into obscurity. We have this unprecedented economy of abundance. The good news is that means you have to now outthink rather than simply outspend. 